all is calm, all is well. Everyone is sitting around the Christmas tree. The young children are using their pleas and thank yous. Uncle Buck is actually getting along with everyone in the room. Christmas time is beautiful. Christmas time is cute. The houses are all decorated. Everybody is wearing their best. Everyone is behaving the best. Christmas is awesome. Christmas is beautiful. Yet we all know that Christmas is not an actual reflection of our lives. Christmas is cute, but our lives are chaos. Christmas is a time when beauty and glamour is seen, but in the day-to-day we know there's a lot of drama in our lives. We think of the story of Jesus at Christmas time, and a lot of times it is a lot of glamour. Even some of the songs we sing, how beautiful they are, still get it wrong just a little bit because they're trying to make it this beautiful, perfect night. When in reality, it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't perfect. There was a lot of trouble going on. There was people that were being murdered, and soon after, there was a lot of people that were murdered. Christmas was not all cute. Christmas was not all sentimental. But actually, Christmas was messy. And this morning we get another angle of understanding how messy Christmas really is. When we look at the lineage of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, Jesus, the one that everybody in the world likes, even non-Christians like Jesus. People agree that Jesus, the man, was one of the greatest teachers, the moral teachers to ever live. He's influenced almost every government over the history of time. And atheists agree that this man, Jesus, is nice. That's why atheists even say, man, it'd be nice if Christians were more like Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus. But do we know where Jesus comes from? When we think of Jesus, we think of cute and having it all together. This morning, we get a different picture. That where Jesus comes from is not cute in this family that has it all together. But rather we get this list of families that is really more of a soap opera. We think of soap opera today on television. Think of the worst one that you could possibly see that's got the most drama in it. And those get a little bit weird, right? Family and family and then worker and co. And it gets just, you can't even keep track. Well, let me tell you. It probably doesn't compare with what's here in Matthew chapter 1. There's a lot of drama going on. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew is giving to us the history of Jesus' family to tell people that, hey, he comes from Abraham and David. And this is important for the Jewish nation because the Jewish nation knew that the Messiah was going to come in their lineage. And so Matthew's point is reminding them that, hey, this is the Messiah, and here's kind of the evidence of it. But one thing we have to keep in mind as we're reading here, Matthew 1, is get caught in the details. The numbers don't always match up. So if you read here in Matthew chapter 1 and started counting, you might say, well, Pastor, I'm counting more than 14 generations, and I'm counting different here in Matthew 1 than I am in Luke. It just doesn't all add up. Matthew's not concerned about precise detail right now. He's trying to make a theological statement to the Jewish nation that this is the Messiah. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is in Hebrew, 
they use numbers in a way different way a lot of times than we do. So, for example, a lot of times they use numbers to tell a story or to drive home a point. Not always necessarily literally, like there's three people here. They might use the number three to, to represent something else. And so we're mixing in different cultures and, and things like that. So I'm not talking scientifically this morning of generations and things like that, but we're looking at the storyline here of who's in all of these generations. Now, I figure since it's cold out today, and you probably don't want to go start your cars, we're just going to cover every person in this list. We've got plenty of time. In reality, we're going to cover just a couple. If you uh, just have your Bible, you're not, we're not going to take it passage by passage this morning. You can just kind of keep it open to Matthew chapter 1 there. One of the very first interesting characters that we run into here in Matthew chapter 1 is in verse 3. Judah, who most of us probably know, we know Abraham, Jacob, and that story. And then here's where it gets interesting. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar is, is a woman. Tamar you can find in the book of Genesis chapter 38, Tamar was a Canaanite daughter-in-law who, now this is where it gets really messy really fast. Tamar had a situation where some husbands had died and things like that. Now, now Tamar is living with her father-in-law, Judah. Now Tamar tricks her father-in-law, Judah, into sexual relations. In other words, very bluntly and clearly, commits incest. Everywhere against the law of God as revealed. So here we have a, a woman that tries to sleep and does it disguisingly with her father-in-law. And she's in the family tree of Jesus. This woman was not one who you would consider clean by any moral standards at all. It wasn't one who you would consider, really, of the ethnic heritage of the nation of Israel. But this woman had a part, had a role. Her life is messy. To put it really simply, she's a prostitute in her own home. Now, the father-in-law is not without guilt in all of this either. He had done some extremely questionable things in how he had set up different relationships with her and so forth. So again, you get this situation where it's not like the line of Jesus was just all of a sudden made bad by someone outsider that came in. Judah had done some questionable things as well. We're not going to get into all of those details. So that's number one. Tamar is extremely difficult. Prostitute. Now we come to the next one. Verse 5. The father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, many of you maybe are familiar with, with Rahab. Rahab was now different a little bit from Tamar in this thing. She was openly and willingly a prostitute. So, willingly acknowledge that she's a prostitute. Rahab, again, had done things that would have been exactly against the revealed will of God. Yet she was someone that God used in the middle of a difficult situation. If you remember the story of Jericho in the Old Testament, we won't go into all the details, but there's this town Jericho and, and Rahab and stuff having an interesting role in saving some people. So Rahab, second prostitute, and we're not even through the what? First generation. 
We've got two prostitutes in the line of Jesus. And then we come to the next interesting character in the line of Jesus, Ruth, the wife of Boaz. Now, Ruth, we can't really say was like, wow, there's something really bad that we can find verse and scripture on. But the interesting thing about this is she's a former pagan. A former pagan with no right to marry an Israelite. So again, she's outside of the ethnic heritage of the nation of Israel. Yet she's brought in and she's in the family tree of Jesus. The fourth interesting character, and notice these are all women. Now, whoa, 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 I did not mean, that was not meant to be humorous. I'm serious. There's going to be a major point about that. Erase that laugh from the live stream thing. The fourth interesting individual is actually not even named by name. There's not even a name. Look with me. Verse 6. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Wife of Uriah? Who is that? A woman by the name of Bathsheba. Let me just put it this way for you, how this works out. David was a king in the nation of Israel. As David was waiting to become king, be waiting... David was kind of on the run from the person who was currently king. In the midst of that, some friends came to David's help and protected David before he came king from the current king. One of the people who protected David in the midst of that was Uriah. You could say that Uriah was one who protected David and allowed then David to take the throne. Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. David, when he became king, had an affair with Bathsheba, his friend's wife, Uriah. Now, he didn't just have an affair. David had the husband killed. So you have a woman committing an adultery. A man, obviously, it takes two committing adultery, but then the man, what? Not just committing adultery, but the cover-up is almost always worse. Leads to deaths. In the line of Jesus. Now David is the main character, you could say, of the Old Testament. He's who everything revolves around. He was their hope that King David was going to restore the nation of Israel And everything was built around this idea that even after David left, someone was going to come in the lineage of David and restore the greatness of Israel. David was said to be a man after God's own heart. But yet when we dig into David's life, there's some serious messes going on. Now in each of these messes, there's consequences. So it's not like all this bad stuff was going on and there's no bad consequences. There was a plethora of bad consequences. People literally lost their lives. Yet in the midst of the mess, God comes through this family. You think your family line has dysfunction? It can't compare at all to the family line of Jesus Christ. There's dysfunction in every generation. And it's not just the women. 
There's some women in here, four, that are very interesting that you would not consider to be really the mothers of Jesus. But guess what? The man who would be considered the main man is David. He's got plenty of impurity to go around. There's a lot of impurity throughout the lineage of Jesus Christ. We could look at all of these people and they would have a checkered past. There is a lot of dysfunction. Jesus was the nicest person to ever live. Jesus was the most respected person ever to live. But where did Jesus come from? Jesus came from dysfunction. Jesus came from brokenness. He came from a mess. Well, what difference does it make? What does it matter to us that all these people in the family tree of Jesus are idiots? I mean, what does it matter to us that they all got brokenness in a variety of different ways? It's a big deal. I want to share with you this morning three reasons it's a big deal. The first is this. We look at the family tree of Jesus and it becomes clear very quickly that Jesus is for all people. Jesus is all for all people. It does not matter on gender. And this, you got to remember, this is a big deal. If, if you would have done a family tree around the time that the book of Matthew was written, you have to remember the culture that they were living in. You would not have included women in your family tree. Why? Because it would have lowered the value of the family. They used the man. But what is, happens here? Who does God elevate? He includes the women in the family tree. Because men and women stand of equal value before the creator of this universe. We don't just see them included in the family tree, but we also see then women included in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Do you know who financially supported the ministry of Jesus? It wasn't the 12 guys following him. They had left their jobs. It was the women. Mary and Martha and others. Jesus included women. Who was the first person to, to know that Jesus had risen from the dead? A woman who in that culture, remember, the testimony of a woman would have been looked down upon. But who does God use? God is countercultural. He puts a woman in there first to be the first witness. Because Jesus is for all people. Not just men and women, but all ethnic groups. The family of Jesus is this not one nice little pure nation of Israel, but there's outsiders that are brought in. And Jesus comes from that group of outsiders. And then we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ. What does it consist of? He's in all of the small towns where the religious leaders are saying, Hey, uh, what are you doing with some of the Gentiles? Hey, Jesus, what are you doing with some of those who have leprosy? We see in the life of Jesus that he's willing to go to all ethnic groups. And then what does Jesus say at the end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 28? He says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say in Jerusalem. He says what? Of all nations. Because Jesus is for all people. Jesus comes from a family line that includes different nations, because Jesus is for all people. How about you this morning? 
Are you for all people? Do you recognize the value of humanity, no matter color or gender or ethnicity? Jesus Christ is for all people. They're included in his story over and over again. The second implication for us from the family tree of Jesus, very simple, your past does not determine your destiny. Your past does not have to have the final say over who you're going to be. The, the past of these individuals in Jesus' family tree is horrible. But guess what their greatest accomplishment is? Being in the family tree of Jesus. That what did Jesus bring out of that brokenness? He brought redemption. A savior of the world came from that family because Jesus is in the business of redemption. We see it right in his family tree. Jesus redeems all of the past by the moment he comes. And he says, this is the one who comes from this family. This is the one who the rest of the world will know. You go anywhere in the world and you say, hey, um, do you know Uriah? Do you know Bathsheba? Uh, what? I don't know. Unless you're into the Bible a lot. But you go anywhere in the world and you say, Jesus. And almost everywhere, that name is known. Because that family, the nation of Israel, is to be known for one name, the name of Jesus. Because Jesus redeems. Jesus doesn't just redeem that family, but Jesus is in the redemption business. Look again at how Jesus interacts in his ministry. What does he do? He goes to a tax collector. And he says to that tax collector, hey, come and follow me. And all the religious leaders are going, oh, Jesus, do you know who that is? That's Zacchaeus. Jesus, you, uh, you need to leave his home. But what does Jesus do? He redeems Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is thievery. Zacchaeus' tax cheating doesn't have the final say. What has the final say is what? Zacchaeus' generosity, which comes from Jesus' redemption. Jesus meets a woman, and the religious leaders actually bring the woman to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, this woman has committed adultery. And the woman doesn't defend it. She just agrees with it. Yep. And so they bring her the woman, and they expect Jesus to what? Have her stoned. And what does Jesus do? He gets the whole crowd to put all of their stones down. And then he says to the woman, go and sin no more. Do they condemn you? Neither do I. That woman's past didn't have the final say, but Jesus' word of forgiveness did. And then in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This morning, if you have a checkered past, guess what? You're in good company. Because everybody has a checkered past of some sort. But Jesus is in the business of redeeming that checkered past. So that checkered past does not have the final say in your life. That checkered past does not determine your value or your worth. Your value and your worth is determined by Jesus Christ saying, you are forgiven. The birth of Jesus through this family tells us that our past does not determine our destiny.
And then thirdly, the implication for us is that God actually enters into human existence rather than abandoning, abandoning His creation. This is a big deal. <laughs> There's real people here in Matthew chapter 1. And the reason that this is important is this, is that Christmas, we're not celebrating a fairy tale. At Christmas, we're not gathering around some tree and saying, magic portion, come back and help us. At Christmas, we're celebrating real flesh and blood entering into humanity on our behalf. And that's good news for you and I. Because the problems that you and I have can't be solved by magic. There's no fairy tale that has the problem, that has the power to solve your greatest problem, the grave. But Jesus does not abandon creation, but He enters into creation, becoming just like one of us. I think the most of the preschoolers and kindergartners are gone, which is good, because I don't want to yell at them while they're in here. But there's a song that we sing at Christmas time, Away in the Manger. And it says, oh, you know, the cat, no, no crying the baby makes. Everything is well in the manger. This is simply not true. No, Jesus is a real person. And if Jesus is a real person, do you really think there was no crying? Do you really think everything was nice, that the cattle were gathered around in twos and the donkeys were gathered around in twos? Not at all. It was messy because Jesus entered into real creation. There was crying, probably a lot of it. There's challenges and difficulties because Jesus enters in and experiences the flesh, real flesh, like you and I experience. And then we see this in the life of Jesus Christ, that when Jesus is living, He goes and He takes real punishment and He says, Father, why have you betrayed me? Why does He say that? He says that because He has entered into creation on our behalf. Jesus knows suffering. He knows it really, really well. And that's good news for you and I this morning, that Jesus enters in through a real family into real time and experiences the real flesh because you and I go through real suffering, real physical challenges. And the final physical challenge that we go through is death. But thanks be to God, that God entered into creation through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus experienced it on our behalf so that our worst experience in the flesh does not have to be our last experience. Because of Christmas, the worst thing that you experience will not be the last thing you experience. If Christmas did not happen, the worst suffering that you've gone through or you are going through would be what you would experience for the rest of time. But because of Christmas, our suffering is only momentary because Jesus enters in and conquers all suffering once and for all. I used to hate going to the dentist and still kind of do. The thing that drove me nuts was to get to the end of the dentist appointment, I used to have this fluoride treatment. 
where you take these little styrofoam tea things and then pour it in there and you stick it in your mouth. You have to sit over the sink like this for like a minute and a half and wash that timer. And that fluoride stuff was just gross. It was horrible. You're just sitting there and you're kind of watching out your side of your eye to see if there's anybody so you can kind of sneak it out and get a little extra spit out in the middle of it. You know, that, that bad experience at the end of the dentist visit, what? It clouds everything. Even though the rest of the visit really wasn't that bad. But that one bad experience says what? I don't want to go back to the dentist at all. Sometimes our worst experiences cloud all of our experiences. This morning, because Jesus entered into creation, we know that our worst experiences will not have the final say. It may be rough for a short time or for a long time, but that roughness will end because Jesus entered into creation. This morning, you have a God who is familiar with suffering. You, have, you do not have a God who is far off, but you have a God who is near. Do you need to cry out to that God this morning and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have a God who will listen and a God ultimately who has conquered on your behalf. Well, this morning, when you look at the family tree of Jesus Christ, how does your heart need to be shaped or formed? Just pick one of the three this morning. This morning, do you need to be reminded that Jesus is for all people? This morning, do you need to be reminded that Jesus is in the mission business? That Christmas is really about mission. Jesus coming, going on our behalf. Do you need to be reminded that every human being has value? Men, women, every race, every ethnicity. Or do you need to be reminded this morning that your checkered past is forgiven in Jesus Christ? Stop moping around with a bunch of guilt. Broaden your shoulders, elevate your head, and you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Now God wants to do something amazing through you. He doesn't see you through your checkered past. He sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ, the perfect one. This morning, do you need to say, God, remove the guilt of the past and let me walk in the freedom of the future through Jesus Christ? Or this morning, do you need to say, God, in the midst of this physical suffering, be near me. God, I don't know why, but come alongside of me and give me strength. As we look upon the family tree of Jesus Christ, we're reminded that Jesus is for all people. We're reminded that our past does not determine our destiny. And we're reminded that God has not abandoned his creation, but he has entered into it on our behalf. So everything is conquered. The good news is that God has come in the flesh. Today, will you acknowledge that you need a Savior? Will you acknowledge that the good news should be shared? When you hear good news, what do you do? You tell other people about it. Oh, that restaurant's awesome. It just comes out automatically. Christmas is a time of sharing. The good news is this. A Savior's been born who eliminates your past. A Savior's been born for every nation. A Savior has been born who overcomes every suffering. 
receive that Savior, and go and tell the world. For today, we celebrate that a Savior has been born for you and I. Let us pray. Everlasting God, we give you praise today for your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, that you entered into our midst. This morning, Lord, I lift up and I pray for each of us that you, Lord, could help us to value all people. Lord, help us and forgive us for ways in which we've mistreated different groups of people. And Lord, I pray that you burden us this morning with your vision of humanity. Lord, I also pray this morning for anyone who's struggling with their past. <clears throat> pray for anyone right now that's in the middle of something that's checkered. Lord, I ask right now that you would free them. Lord Jesus, make yourself and your forgiveness known to them. And this morning, Lord, we give you thanks that you'd entered into the flesh and experienced suffering on our behalf. We give thanks, Lord, that you sent Jesus to be a real man. And Lord, we ask that you'd help anyone this morning that's in the midst of suffering, that you would walk alongside of them, that you would be with them, that you would give them your joy and your peace. God, we praise you and thank you this morning for a Savior. Grant us the ability now to trust in that Savior. Grant us the power to go and tell the good news about that Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.